Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the Human Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to somebody who has so much on their plate right now that uh, I am so grateful that he's managed to squeeze in half an hour just to have this conversation with myself and hopefully that you benefit from. So as you know, the Human Centered Leadership Podcast is really about understanding what emotional intelligence and practice really looks like. So we're speaking to a select group of leaders from around the world People who I believe are at the very top of their game are people who have a reputation for uh, demonstrating human-centered leadership and emotional intelligence in everything that they do. Uh, So I'm reaching out to these individuals. We're having some incredible conversations. The idea is that uh, other leaders from around the world can listen into these interviews and get some tips to help them in their leadership journey. So I want to present to you Andy Marsh, who is now the CEO of the College of uh, Policing, which is in essence, the UK College of Policing, it, it, it drives forward uh, the strategic learning, the strategic uh, development of the UK Policing Service. It's very, very influential in the UK Policing Service. It's a huge position in, in, our, in our policing structure. But Andy uh, took on this position. I mean, he's supposed to have retired last year, but uh, decided he was going to take on some more pressure. Took on this role last uh, September, a few short months after he retired as Chief Constable from Avon and Somerset, where he'd done something like five years as Chief Constable. He's got 15 years in total as a Chief Officer in UK Policing. He's seen a few forces. So he's got a vast amount of wisdom and experience under his belt. I'm hoping for a really deep, meaningful conversation around emotional intelligence and leadership. Um, Andy actually joined the policing service in 1987, which was three years after I joined the UK policing service. And bear in mind, ladies and gents, that I have now been retired seven years. It just goes to show that this man is just is not going away any time soon. He's still in there. And uh, I, he has my admiration for that. Andy, welcome to the Human Centred Leadership podcast. Uh, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm very honoured to be speaking to you today, Carl. Thank you for that introduction and uh, you know, I'm not sitting in front of you as the finished article. I'm still sharpening my pencil, my saw on, on leadership every day. Still got a lot to learn. Absolutely. And Stephen Covey says this in his uh, book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We're still sharpening our saw. Uh, you know, Simon Sinek, who uh, is, a, is a bit of an idol of mine, really, when it comes to leadership circles, he talks about the infinite game and that, uh, you know, we have these finite leaders who constantly look at the winning post and the finishing finishing post, but the infinite game is all about constant improvement every single day. Uh, and, you know, I'm not surprised to hear you saying that uh, as the leader that you are. But talking about the UK policing service, talking about leadership, 
We're going through some really unprecedented times right now in in the UK, across the world, and the police service are right at the very heart of it all with the pandemic. Uh, what do you think are the leadership challenges for the UK policing service uh, with everything that's going on in this very complex and VUCA world? I, I would describe the, the, the environment that we operate in as disruptive. Um, so it's, it's unpredictable. Um, and major events on one side of the globe can shape the policing context um, within Bristol, London, Penzance, anywhere in, in the in the UK. Um, there has been, as we know, and there's no point trying to escape it, a hammer blow to our legitimacy, to the trust and confidence in police. That's been delivered by events such as the murder of Sarah Everard by a serving police officer in the UK, and the, the death, the murder of George Floyd in the United States, indeed my own Force Haven and Somerset felt the very rapid ramifications of that uh, in the Black Lives Matters protest and the toppling of the Colson statue. So um, policing needs to respond to these trends. Um, there are other trends, digitalization, globalization. I, I think that if we are to rise to the challenge, we need to be more inclusive than ever before. We need to be data literate. Leadership has always felt like the single most important critical success factor of an outstanding police force. And I would say that everyone involved in, the, in policing has a leadership role. We are, we're all leaders within this environment. I think when you think about human-centered um, leadership, you know, I wish I knew some of the things now uh, when I was, when I was uh, 21, when I joined the police, that I know now. And I don't know it by any stretch of the imagination now. So I think that empathy and caring, actually, are ultimate uh, critical success factors also in the makeup of anyone involved in policing. Yeah, I think you're so right. How the world has changed, Andy, from the, the era that you and I joined in. I mean, I joined the year before the miners' strike, and you will have known about the miners' strike. You will have seen it on television and probably spoken to many a colleague. And there are all sorts of other issues going on in the 80s. But you and I both joined the police service when leadership was slightly different, well, significantly different to the style of leadership that we have now. The generations that were involved in policing were different. The people coming through, the communities were different. What do you think are the modern challenges for the modern leader coming through the police service and anywhere else if they truly want to connect? The college, actually, my current job's got a massive role in this. I, I honestly believe that policing is a profession and if we are to deliver professionals that are fit for purpose, we need to think very much about their, about their training and their preparation and this concept of continuous professional development, something, uh, Cole, that is largely absent in a structured way through our, our, our careers. Yeah. So one of the things that the college is doing in partnership with police forces and higher educational institutions is delivering new pathways into policing, which actually the, the satisfaction of those going through it in terms of their readiness to deal with a difficult and unpredictable job of vulnerability, sexual exploitation, cybercrime, um, their own personal resilience, trust, confidence, ethics and inclusion. They are saying they're much better prepared. The retention levels are better. Um, so we're, we're seeing very different um, training um, of, our, of our people. Now, leaders need to be able to respond to that. What do our communities expect? What do the people that they serve alongside and with and have the privilege of leading expect? And I, and I think they, they do have expectations that their leaders are inclusive, um, that they're caring, that they create an environment where they can continue to learn and develop. And when you talk to young people now who are thinking about what, what do we want 
from a job in life? What are our expectations? I think people want a mission and they want to be associated with a mission that gives their life meaning. Policing has, 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 has never been more relevant than it ever is in terms of that, that mission now. It's what I call as a, a, a leader, keep it real. Constantly remind and refocus people on the purpose why they're, do, they're doing their job. Now, actually, most people also want in um, from a career and a profession something which continues to stretch them um, and uh, and develop their abilities in a way that you and I were talking that I'm I'm still learning as someone that is is in my third chief officer chief constable um, role. But actually, one of the one of the other ingredients of the, the sort of magic sauce that people want from any career profession is they want a relationship with their line manager. I'm someone that understands them, makes time for them, um, has one-to-ones with them, takes an interest in their professional development, tells them when things are going wrong, and pats them on the back when things are going right. And so, leadership is such an important part of meeting the expectations of today's workforce. It's so refreshing to hear you say that, Andy, because it's not the kind of language that I would have heard, you know, two decades ago in policing. And I think it's absolutely relevant now. We have different generations coming through the police service right now. You know, millennials and Gen Z and. They have a different way of thinking and, uh, and of course the community, society and the policing landscape, the criminal landscape has changed as well. There's so many different demands on policing right now. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, you, you've tapped into this whole concept of experience. And one thing that we're experiencing around the globe, not just uh, in any one particular industry, certainly not in the police service, but around the globe, across all industries, is something called the Great Resignation. And it almost seems like people have recalibrated their priorities as a result of going through the whole lockdown experience. It's almost like people have come right back down to the, the very basic of the human needs and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And they thought, what's important for me? What is important for me is to make sure that I've got food and water, that I'm safe and that, you know, I feel valued and I feel safe in the working environment. So a lot of people are now voting with their feet and they're leaving organizations to go elsewhere. And there's this talent leakage that is going on. Is this something that the police service are alert to? Is this something that the the police service are, you know, uh, proactively looking at? My goodness, yes. Um, So this has been taking up a lot of my time um, having these conversations in the context of how policing in England and Wales goes around achieving the government's uplift target of Mm. 20,000 additional officers uh, by April 2023. Now, we're on target largely in years one and two, and years three is the biggest lift, and it's going to be a stretch. So in order to recruit, uh, grow by 20,000, and manage natural attrition, never mind people voting with their feet, which is what you're saying, um, we need to recruit 50,000 additional police officers in a, a period of about um, three years. That's incredible. <laughs> what an exciting opportunity. And there's um, lots of things that I, I I hope that we're setting in train about cohort studies so we can really understand over the next decades, years and decades, what it is that attracts people to policing, what, what, what it is that leads to their success, their development, their flourishing in the role and their retention. Now, um, the different pathways that we have into policing and one of the pathways that has been, um, I think, misinterpreted, actually, is police education qualification framework, where you're awarded a degree at the end of your training because that is the standard that is required to meet the complexities of today's police service. So the training is designed around the need. It's not, it has to be a degree. It happens to be a degree standard. It is applied learning. It's practical learning. And it includes things um, such as um, the code of ethics, 
but it also includes in the curriculum resilience and well-being. And the college is responsible on a national program for supporting the, the pledge. This government have a policing covenant and support the resilience and well-being of of, of people in, in the service. Now, I, I you will have your memories, Carl. So many memories um, from policing of things that I, I I remember that that perhaps weren't so good. So talking about what 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 happened when I joined, I remember um, because I questioned the role of the police in enforcing the law on homosexuality, which has now changed. It's uh, that the law I'm talking about has been abolished. Um, when I questioned it in class, I was nicknamed PC two two one, which was an acronym for the law, and ridiculed. And um, to the extent, to be honest with you, I considered leaving. Now, um, my closing report from police college, Sharp Marsh said PC Marsh would do better if he took the advice of his superior colleagues. Now, actually, what sort of an environment is that to grow in? Now, when when we welcome people into policing now, we're concerned about enabling their, their ability to critically think and challenge when things are not right. So it just shows you the, the difference, but we're also embedding in them a, um, a sense of uh, what the responsibilities are of the organisation to them and them to themselves on their emotional well-being and resilience. This is a retention issue, your your question. Now, I, I remember as a young PC, and you'll have similar memories, I remember one week of earlies, two days running, I attended a suicide of um, one 21-year-old lad, one 18-year-old lad, and, and trauma sometimes can manifest itself mm. when you either see yourself or a family member in a horrible scenario. And at, actually, I dealt with them on my own. Um, I, I attended the sudden death, I gave the death message, and nobody said, that's a bit tricky, are you all right, Andy? You know, should we debrief? I was a brand new officer, ne never even seen a dead body before I joined the police. Now, actually, that is not that is not the way that you retain people. So I was having a look at um, one of the cohorts that join under this new PF, PEQF module, and actually the comparison over the same period, so we're talking the last two years, attrition rates of 0.7% in the PEQF, the new route, in the old route was, would you believe it, over 12%. That's how many people are leaving. So we, we are going to have to learn quickly about why people want to get into policing and how we, we help them create an environment where they grow and flourish and they want, and they want to stick with us. Um, for, because policing does take um, sometimes a lifetime of experience to learn a lot of the things about how to do it well. And one of the reasons I'm still involved in policing is I've not cracked that yet. I'm still learning every day. There's been so much focus over the years around what we call the code of ethics. And for anyone, anyone who's not police, um, it is essentially the values of policing, which sits at the very heart of everything that we do. It sits at the heart of what we call the national decision-making model, which is the tool that is often used in, in, in all sorts of situations, right from the fast dynamic life and death situations to the slower, slower, uh, uh, slower sort of decision-making process that, that we embark on. But it sits right there as a hub of the wheel. I'm encouraged that values still sit at the very heart of policing. But I'm also aware that, you know, the, the difficult challenge for the, the, the College of Policing and yourself as a CEO is that we need to move together as 43 different independent police forces and 43 chief constables need to move together in the same direction. And that is probably the greatest challenge for the College of Policing to, to get that strategic development and, and influence so many other chief constables to move in that same direction. Uh, how have you thought that you might be able to achieve that? Coming back to the what we were talking about with the uplift of 20,000 officers, 
It's a big political pledge that with lots of public expectation about things getting better, safer communities, more criminals caught, better, swifter justice, more satisfaction of people experiencing the criminal justice system. Now, one of the things that the system craves is high standards and consistency. And um, one of the jobs that I did when I was a, a chief constable was to coordinate and lead all international policing capability and capacity building undertaken by the UK. And so I've been involved in policing around the world, Carl, and what I've seen is some policing systems which are highly centralised, a national police force. So the Dutch have a national police force. Um, the Garda Shikana in Ireland do. Um, we have a uh, highly localised system, 43 police forces and then some non-home office forces and then, of course, the police service in Northern Ireland and Scotland. There are some great benefits to localism. There are also some great benefits to centralism. Actually, the job of uh, a systems leader, which I would include the College of Policing as a system leader, is to make the system work. How do you get the benefits of localism whilst protecting some of the benefits that you would crave through a centralised system? And one of those, for example, is consistency and standards. The ways in which we, we will be securing that consistency is to issue accredited uh, professional practice. There are about 70 areas of uh, police work which are currently accredited, some of them with a degree of regulation, um, some very important high-risk areas. So, for example, undercover policing and the police use of firearms. Um, but what I need to do uh, centrally through the college is only set standards in the right areas and not set a gold standard and everything so police chiefs are set up for fail. So we, we can certainly decide how and where and which standards we set, and we can, we can share that. We can also identify what works through best evidence, working in partnership with academia, and uh, to, to try and encourage police forces and support them in their implementation of that. One of the other things the college has got is a responsibility to develop leadership across the service, and of course I've already talked a lot about entrance pathways, continuous professional development, learning knowledge and accreditation. There are lots of, lots of ways in which we can pull levers to secure consistency and standards across a highly localised network. I'm, I'm really encouraged as to how you've really thought this through and it is about pulling those levers and influencing people and developing relationships, which is part of you know, the whole uh, process of emotional intelligence, building a rapport and developing relationships with all these people uh, inside the police service, outside the police service to get things done, essentially. I, I want to bring you back to another uh, word that you use. And it's a, it's a phrase that so many of us use now in, in, in organizations, and that is inclusive leadership. Inclusive leadership wasn't a terminology that uh, was used even when I when I left the police service. And over the last two or three years, we've seen it being used an awful lot. And, and, and inclusive leadership for me uh, really means creating an environment where people feel appreciated, heard, valued uh, and seen uh, for who they are and the ideas that they bring to the table. What I call cognitive diversity. The, the police service and many other organisations have very often set themselves targets, and I remember the targets coming out sometimes around 1999, where targets for BAME uh, recruitments were brought out, and we talked about recruitment retention progression. Is that something, a strategy that the police service is still pursuing, or is there something deeper than just chasing demographic diversity? Is that the same thing as cognitive diversity for you? In a, in a, a police service that, that absolutely relies on trust and legitimacy 
then actually we've got to be everyone's police force. And uh, in terms of inclusivity, that's a, that's a value that shines internally. And actually people want to work in an organisation where they feel included. And it's a value that shines externally. We need to be everyone's police force. So I think if you, if you want to be uh, inclusive in a true sense of the word, you, you need to make it a real word for everyone. Now, now, actually, right at the sharp end of people being excluded is the black community. Uh, in terms of policing, policing has had a difficult relationship with the black community. You, you highlighted um, 1999, and of course, that was around the time of the McPherson report being published. And one of the recommendations was a representative workforce. Now, the, the, the 50,000 um, uplift pr- provides a unique once in a generational opportunity for lots of things, but but one of those things is actually to create a visibly more inclusive police force. We might be talking about men and women, gender, but we're talking about all difference, um, race, religion, and ethnicity as well. But one of the most powerful things uh, that I was part of, I feel, in Open Somerset was making inclusivity real for everyone. So, um, you know, how did how did I feel when I openly challenged uh, the way in which the police handled? the uh, placing the um, LGBT community back in the 80s. Uh, Actually, I was ridiculed, humiliated. I felt excluded. I didn't like it. My goodness, what a tiny glimpse into the world that Cole must have experienced as a man from Asian heritage joining a UK police force when you would have been one of the early pioneers. So actually, when we talk about people-centred leadership, kind leadership, um, inclusivity... Actually, having some um, feeling valued for who you are and taking the time to learn and understand what does it feel like to be an Asian man or woman entering policing in 2022. Actually, these are incredibly important aspects of, you know, when I talk about empathy, that helps us be better colleagues and better peers, better leaders. but, But actually, perhaps most importantly all, it helps us be better police officers and police staff to serve the incredibly diverse communities that we now that we now have to earn the trust of, if, if you see what I mean. So making inclusivity real for everyone, I think is a challenge for all leaders, uh, certainly in policing, an area that I can talk with authority on. It's almost like empathy is like the new superpower. Yeah. Uh, and we need to adopt this new superpower. And, you, you know, when we talk about Britain, Great Britain, I think the definition of being British has changed so much. We're a rich, diverse community across the whole of the country. Uh, and what is defined as being British now isn't what would have been defined back in the 80s or, or be before that. So this is about moving with the, the changes of society and the changing face of society. Policing has, has, has a, a tough job to do here. Um, mm. We need to win back the trust of lots of parts of the community. And we talked about, about some of those hammer blows we've experienced. I, I remember when, when I joined in the 80s, I didn't get to know a black person properly until I met a real good friend of mine now called Norman Pascal. He was a black detective. Um, from Bristol, and we worked together. We shared a desk. I remember Normal Pascal, actually. Uh, what, what a guy! And I'm sent, I'll send him your regards. But but actually, back in those days, as a you know white bloke that was born in Liverpool, grew up in Cornwall, one of the things I got to do every now and then was sit in, and we we called it a riot van in St Paul's. One riot van either end of Ashley Road. Now, um, how did I feel? I felt a little bit uncertain. I felt a bit afraid. My goodness. How must the black community have felt about me and five of my colleagues sitting in a van 
looking out their windows at them 24-7. So when we talk about the black community feeling over-policed and under-protected, there's a, a perfect example of it. But actually, I didn't, I didn't have an understanding of what it felt like to be a black person living in Bristol and policed by even a Somerset constabulary. And actually, um, my challenge, along with other leaders in policing, is to help, is to help passport enable opportunities for people involved in policing to gain empathy so that they can actually conduct their powers, undertake their job in a way that is not only procedurally correct, but culturally competent. Cultural competence, important part of empathy. 100%. Andy, um, just one final question, really, because we're coming to the end, but you know, I could literally carry on talking to you for another half an hour quite easily. <laughs> I'm asked by all sorts of organisations now. I, I, I get to work with some incredible organisations, public and private sector, uh, all on this concept of emotional intelligence cultures, human-centred cultures, and I like your word, kind leadership. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to hashtag that and throw that out there because you've used it a few times uh, in our previous conversations. Um, I get asked to do this work all the time with the organisations, uh, and one of the things that organisations are asking for is what advice can we give to our leaders? Um so, and it's, I always find it very difficult to say, well, here's your top three things that you need to think about. But if I were to throw that to you and put the pressure on you, what would be the top three things that you think a leader needs to have to be a successful and effective leader in the current climate, in the modern age? I think one is the, the humility to listen. Uh, uh, because, because actually nobody knows it all. And I think about the, the best things that I've ever done in, in policing is where relatively junior people with no position or authority had said, Andy, boss, chief, um, I've got an idea. Um, so having the humility to listen, um, yeah. giving people the courage to be themselves when you don't always know um, what you're going to get. Um, actually, it's a tough way to lead when you give people the power and the authority to, to speak their minds. But in my opinion, it's the only way to lead. So I, I'm, I'm talking. I'm, I'm coming at this from a, a values um, point of view, what, and I don't, I don't want it all to sound um, negative. But there's a risk that this does a bit. Um, some of my life experiences have, have led me to, um, you know, to to adopt the views that I have around leadership. So my my views around kind leadership uh, came from a time when I was a sergeant and I had cancer, and I felt very excluded. I not only felt very vulnerable about my health. Um, what might happen to me. Uh, I was also very vulnerable and excluded about what I thought was going to be a great career ahead of me and all of a sudden might not. They, they, people didn't think, seem to think they'd see me again. And I've, I've developed a somewhat, I guess, of a stoic, a stoic attitude in, in that some things will happen to you if you want to be successful in your life and your career, which you don't plan. Um, you know, and another, another of these, uh, these sort of situations is where something really bad happens at work and, you need to respond to it. And uh, actually, you know, the, the antidote to mistrust is openness. So be open, be open about what's happened. Um, and, and an antidote um, to some of these, um, these problems is learning, is what can we learn from it? So, um, you know, just, just um, positivity, resilience, humility, courage. Um, but actually, let me end, end on something like joyful, Carl. Um, have, you, have you ever met anyone who was really good at their job that didn't love it? 
So I I would encourage people to um, find find joy and happiness in what you do. Yeah. You're going to spend a long time doing it, and if you enjoy it, you're going to be good at it. Um, now, what, so find what makes you happy in life. I I love to be stretched, um, which is why I'm so excited to still be within policing and have a, have this job in the college where. You know, you threw me a challenge. How are you going to deliver consistency in a dispersed network, Andy? My goodness, that one's um, a challenge I've thought <laughs> a lot about, Carl. Um, so um, find what you enjoy, enjoy it, and be good at it. And don't be the person always looking for the next run on the ladder. If you're great at what you do, my goodness, opportunity will come looking for you. Do you know what, Andy? Just listening to you talk, I'm just wondering if we had a load of leaders who espoused all those principles that you talked about, and I'd add one more to that, the power to be vulnerable with Mm. people. If we had all of those principles being espoused by everyone, what a great organisation we'd have to to work for. I would never retire. You know, it's, it's, it's as good as that, isn't it? Uh, Andy, thank you so much for spending time with us. I've really, really enjoyed it. We might have to have a follow-up conversation to this because uh, there's some of the stories that you've talked about that shaped your life. You know, you talk about uh, having cancer in 1990. I nearly died of tuberculosis. I was a young cop. And the kindness that other leaders showed me encouraged me to become a leader in the future. Within a year or two, I'd become a sergeant. So I'm very grateful to those phenomenal leaders that I've worked with and for over the years. And I would definitely put you in that category. Thank you so much, Andy, for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me, Carl. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.